Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's president, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. Hey, happy March. It's our first broadcast of the month, month of March, not the month of March, the March, the month of March, easy for me to say. And welcome. We're going to have a great discussion today. I know Roger's ready to share some really valuable information. But before we get started, real quick, a couple of housekeeping matters. One, you can uh, type questions in at any point, and we'll get to them as quickly as possible. We've got a habit of breaking into whatever Roger's saying to give the latest question. So send us your questions. If you want us to unmute you so that you can talk with Roger, then let us know that in the comments down to the side or near the bottom. And we look forward to a great discussion. Now let me introduce Roger. Roger Bain is a great resource on health benefit solutions. He's been creating health benefit solutions as the president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation now for 30, well, 32 years, not all with that corporation, but I think he keeps telling me 32 years. He doesn't look that old, but why would he lie about that? Um, I can also tell you that Roger's one of those people that really wants to give back information. That's one of the great things about these weekly coffees is that Roger wants to share as much information as possible about the current healthcare climate. And today we're going to be talking about a better way for paying for uh, providers. And I can't wait to hear that. So, Roger, why don't you kick us off? Well, thank you, Bob. You know, last week we talked a whole lot about hospital providers and how we're paying them around the country and, and what it really means. And we talked a little bit about Medicare and Medicaid. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper in that today and talk about how we can expand this in, in a form that creates a real transparency that consumers can really use and start to get a handle on what we're doing. And then I'd imagine it will stimulate a few questions from there. So, so let's get into that. So, Paying providers a better way. Well, better than what? And that's the challenge. Most of us know that over the last... Roger, can you just interrupt? I don't see your slides. You have slides with this, right, today? I certainly do. Just one second. That's fine. There you go. Thank you. I see your first slide, paying providers a better way, right there. Okay, good. So... As I was saying, we, we talked about a lot of things last week, and, and for the last 32 years that I've been in this business, the thing that's been disturbing is how providers get paid has been a mystery to most of the customers and clients that we as professionals in the insurance business ever have. They don't know. There used to be an old methodology called usual, customary, and reasonable rates, which meant the insurance company could go take a look at a neighborhood or a geographical area or a state and say, you know what, this is what most doctors in the area charge. We're going to use that as our benchmark, or we're going to create a median or a mean number somewhere in that range. And it's always been ugly. But in 1989, not long after I got into this business, Medicare, or CMS, actually created what we call RBRVS. Now, RBRVS is a Medicare reimbursement scheme or schematic that is designed as a resource-based relative value scale. And what that means is we're going out 
to develop this methodology so that the government can pay providers and it replaces payment of billed charges or any of these other more arbitrary mechanics where the doctor bills whatever he bills and the insurance company pays a piece of it or all of it, or they just don't know, or they adjust it because they think it's too high. Well, Medicare said that's way too unstable for us, and we've got a much bigger budget than that. So we want to replace that payment of that method of paying billed charges and get something that's a little bit more scientific, standardized, and stable. So RBRES as it denotes by resource-based relative value schedule, uses three main components to calculate how they're going to pay healthcare providers. One is the physician's work. Well, that means how long it takes to do it, what level of skill and technique and talent and experience it takes to do it, and all that goes in, and that encompasses about 51% of the multipliers. And then there's a practice expense. And that practice expense in 1992 was added, it was changed to add even locations. So we get cost of living, living differences. So basically the expense of managing the business adjusted by geographical region based on cost of living, et cetera. And then the final component was professional liability, the malpractice component of that. And that was a little bit. So you got about 51, 46 and, and a couple of points left in professional liability that all go into that calculation of this reimbursement rate that we're using for physicians. So why resource-based relative value scales? Well, CMS and the government needed a clearly budgetable expense for Medicare payments. That means they needed something that was standard. It's designed to stabilize the payment methodology, bring things into some level of order, and it gets continual advancement and work. Every year it is studied and reviewed. It gets physician input via a special committee on the American Medical Association, and it has constant review and annual revision. So every year CMS comes out with the revisions to RBRVS to try and keep it up to date, scientific as possible, to cover new and expanding medical technologies and changes, and really keep this reimbursement level focused on something that can be a standard, or at least as close to a standard as we can find. Hey, Roger, I've got a question from Ollie who says, why do I care? I run a small business. Why do I care about any of this? This sounds like insider baseball. Well, I mean, it's real important, Ollie. If, if you run a small business, like I have done for many years, and you're paying for health insurance benefits or any portion of the health insurance benefits for your employees, <clears throat> then how the healthcare providers are paid is with your money. That's how important it is. It's really a basis of the cost of your health plan is borne by the cost of physician reimbursement combined with the utilization of healthcare by your employees. So utilization times cost generates your bill for your benefit plan or for your insurance program. And so it's a critical component uh, for most businesses because it's probably your second highest overhead expense other than actual payroll. Well, Ollie says he just uh, sent another note that said, you've got my attention. Dollars always make me pay attention.
Well, well, that's good to know, because that's kind of why we're all here. This whole thing is about that. So one of the things we have to look at when we talk about this new schedule, we know that the government is behind it. Well, maybe in a way, but also the American Medical Association and the Harvard School of Medicine, all of these components came together to build the science of this resource-based relative value scale. And a component of that is the resource-based relative value unit. So this unit is a standard, a number of dollars, much like you would see in an auto mechanic where they post on the wall, we charge X number of dollars for an hour of labor, and that's the chart. And then they take that chart and compare it to how much work is being done on your car, do the math, and you have a bill. So we have real transparency in in many respects in that regard. So the question of fairness comes up often when we talk about this. Fair versus perfect is really probably the better question, right? Is it fair? Sure, as a system or a standard methodology, meaning we now at least know a benchmark. And that benchmark, we could have shot a little high or a little low. It doesn't matter as long as our premise is based on a reasonableness and a, and a similarity across different components of the system. So, yeah, it's fair, but at direct face value, many times probably it's not fair. Many providers, healthcare providers, physicians, hospitals, labs, x-ray, will say that this reimburses them too little for what they do based upon their experience, their training, the expense of med school, the expense of running their operation, and they don't believe the value numbers are appropriate. And in many cases, studies show us that that's probably true, that there is a little bit of difference, that Medicare may in fact be paying a physician or a hospital a little bit less than their actual cost or worth even. So in that case, we do have to look at making some adjustments because the government, having the big powerful hand that they do, has taken a discount on healthcare. They simply took a discount, and this is what we're going to pay. And many physicians want to get reimbursed and get paid a little bit more than that. So is the system perfect? Of course it's not. No system in healthcare is perfect today anywhere. I think we can all agree with that. And in this case, it never will be. And the reason it will never will be is because the healthcare system changes every day, as does medical technology. So on any given day, we could see an entirely new type of procedure or type of program or treatment that has a whole new gamut, which nobody's priced yet. Nobody knows how much it takes. Nobody knows how to calculate how to charge for it. And so the system calls these outliers. And then we get into a real back into this negotiation basis. But it's important that we understand what fairness really represents. So, hey, Roger, can I jump in with a question? Mary's asking a really relevant question, which is, can a medical provider charge whatever they want? Well, absolutely they can. But at the same time, while a medical provider can charge whatever they want, it seems fair that they would tell you what that charge would be before they provide the service. And 99 out of 100 times in this country, that doesn't happen. And so if, if we're going into these things blind, there has to be a certain reasonableness and fairness to what a physician or a healthcare provider charges. 
And, and that's what brings us to the need for an increased communication and enhanced reimbursement methods across the entire commercial market. And that's really, really important. So, Roger, well, I also have a comment from Steve, who I think is talking about the last slide. He said you were talking about technology, and he also points out that we all want to live forever, which makes us even more complicated. Well, that, that is a big challenge. I mean, the fact that we have uh, radical amounts, a very, very, very high percentage of our healthcare expenditures happen toward the end of life uh, as people are trying to prolong life and deal with a better quality of life. We do more hip replacements and joint replacements than we have ever done before at older and older ages. I heard a story the other day about somebody who was 72 years old getting a hip replacement. 25, 30 years ago, you would have never seen that, never even thought that someone 72 years old should warrant a hip replacement. It just was too invasive. It was too much work and not enough return on the investment because that person wasn't going to be around for another 40 years. Well, not likely anyway. And, and Roger, so, am, I, am I remembering correctly that 80% of the health care expense is incurred by 5 or 10% of the population? Um, you know, the number is very similar to that. I don't know the population number at large, but what I can tell you is that when you look at most health insurance carriers' books of business, the number that stands out in my mind is that 3 to 4% of their membership represents 51% of claims. So we're talking about a very small portion of the population that is incurring the bulk of the claims. And as you look at the next tiers, you will see that that old 80-20 rule is really more like a 90-10 rule, which means 90% of the claims come from 10% of that population. Now, that population is really of the under 65 market. That wouldn't include the Medicare segment. When you move into the Medicare segment, you're expanding into a much broader scope, and that number might be stilted one way or another from there. But it's certainly a good point that we have a lot of our expenses coming in in one direction. Okay. Okay, I'm with you so far. So, so when we talk about fairness, what I did is I went out and did a little bit of research, and I pulled up a Journal of Texas Medicine Studies. So this is Texas only, but it's relatively recent in June of 2016. As studies like this go, they take a while to put together, compile, and generate results. So this is pretty timely. Uh, and what it was doing was studying the ratio of what Medicare pays and what Medicaid pays and what private pay pays. So Medicaid, as you can see on this chart, is really paying less than anybody. But I think the most important thing here is when we start talking about fairness, we're talking about most of these alternate payment structures that we're looking at for physicians. We are proposing that we pay a physician about 120% of Medicare and sometimes 140%. And, and maybe even in rare cases, 175 or 180% of Medicare. Now, this chart kind of shows that as right on the money because we're looking at the private pays in a non-facility for evaluation and management and surgery, say, showing that for every dollar of Medicare, 
the allowed charges paid typically by insurance carriers are $1.15 and $1.17 or less than that 20% above. When you get into radiology, pathology, laboratory, I'm not sure exactly why they mixed it in that category. That's a little complex because radiology and pathology are two of the more expensive portions of Medicare, or excuse me, portions of medical expense, and often are attacked as being unreasonable. I lost, I lost you for a second. I'm sorry, you there? Yeah, you, you disappeared for a second. You were saying you were just starting into pathology. Okay. Radiology and pathology are often considered two of those expenses that are kind of above the norm. They're outliers. They're, they're getting paid more. And maybe in many people's eyes, they get paid too much. Um, and so there is radiology, anesthesiology, pathology, and endocrinology. And all of those, those four, what we would call the pair doctors, and some people call them the rape doctors, it's so bad, that we're, we're looking at this expensive segment of healthcare. And specifically in radiology, they, they get attacked, rightfully or wrongfully, I'm not here to pass judgment, but they're often attacked because they clip the, the x-ray or the radiology test up on their screen, they review it, they charge an exorbitant amount of money for the results, and they've never even met most of their patients. And so we find that to be a study of, of how we're reimbursing to be uh, a little bit vulnerable. And so when we look at these, we're trying to say, okay, what is fair? Medicaid pays ridiculously less than Medicare. Medicare pays this standard that's been created with Harvard and the AMA and, and the revised every year with CMS. And then the final result is we have private pay. And private pay is paying more. You'll notice in facilities that it's often 200% or more for those charges. And in non-facility, more in that 120 to 150 range as a norm and typical with a few outliers that get even more expensive. So the real key is, I, I think what I'm trying to get to is that this looks fair to me to start using a standard or some methodology that gets us closer to that. Roger, I'm sorry. I took a little break. I came back. I'm, I apologize to you. Can you explain to me really simply, someone, I didn't catch their name, it was moving too quickly, said that pathology, they weren't clear what pathology was. Can you quickly go through that? Um, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> pathology is basically the, the, the study and the resulting of, of certain tests. Uh, but I'm not a medical professional. So it's it's really... biopsies and things like that, right? Right. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, it's the study of those biopsies and those tests that get expensive. Um, right. Right. I think and, that's what the person's question ultimately was. Why was that so expensive? Right. And and I don't know that it's fair that it's so expensive. It's just, again, it's one of those things that a pathologist doesn't have a patient. He has lab work, and he analyzes this. He might have a, a microscope slide with cells, and he analyzes this. He has a high level of expertise. His skill is important, but he does an analysis, 
compiles a result, delivers it back to the physician that does have that patient. And then the physicians do their work based upon what they learn from the pathologist. And part of the problem with segments of the healthcare industry that don't have as much direct patient contact is they are insulated also from the impact of their charges. And I know that sounds crazy and almost inhuman, but the bottom line is if all you're being asked is what do you charge for this service and you know that some big insurance company or Medicare or Medicaid are going to pay you, you just write the bill out as you will. Now, I'm sure any pathologist joining us today would be very angry at me for that synopsis. But the fact remains that we look at some very, very high costs in that segment with a struggling means to explain why those costs are so extraordinary. Good okay. enough, Bob? Yeah, that's, that's good. You want to keep going? Sure. So fairness comes only from a transparent methodology. And that's kind of what we're missing here. You know, we can get tied up in the numbers and we can get tied up in everything else in the world, but you really have two things. You have to have transparency and you have to have a method. And that's kind of why I like the resource-based relative value scale. It's a method and it's a method that's based on really solid logic. And that logic can help us deliver real impact to the healthcare expenses that all of us are paying. So number one, we need the transparency. We need to know where these bills are coming from, what's a reasonable cost associated with it, what's a reasonable profit. And from that transparency and the methodology on how to make reimbursement, then consumers can know what's being charged. And they have to know what's being charged. But they also have to know what their insurance company will pay, because oftentimes they're otherwise stuck in the middle. The doctor charges $200. The insurance company says it's only worth $100. Well, then what happens? Well, we have a whole lot of trouble. And so we have to make sure we rein that in and make sure everybody's on the same page. And healthcare providers have to be as transparent as any other providers of goods and services. You would never have somebody put a roof on your home without getting a price and a bid first and a contract for that price. But for whatever reason in the world of healthcare, we just arbitrarily run out. We take a doc that's recommended by a friend or by our primary care doc. We don't do enough research on that physician, the quality, the outcome, how many procedures they've done or not done, and what the outcome of those procedures are. And we just go, and we never ask what it costs. And because of that, reimbursement levels, fees, charges, and utilization have uh, great latitude to be taken advantage of. And, and that means that the American healthcare consumer gets taken advantage of by this third-party payer system where everybody thinks no harm, no foul, I'm going to charge more, the patient doesn't pay it, the big bad insurance company does anyway. And then, of course, the big bad insurance company has to come back to the patient and say, I need more premium next year. And so we have these rising healthcare insurance premium costs across the country that we, I don't have to tell anybody on this call about. It's all in the news. It's every day. It never stops. For 32 years I've been in this business, I've never heard it stop. The increase in healthcare expenses is always the beef of the American public. And the challenge is how in the world do we rein this in? And I'm telling you, transparency 
and a standard method of reimbursement are things that the consumer must embrace and be taught. But first, we have to give them that. We have to give them that transparency and methodology and then teach everybody how to use it. And if we teach all of our parties, from hospitals to physicians to labs to x-ray to the consumer and to the insurance companies, that we have these services, here's what they cost, and here's what we'll pay, and here's what your responsibility will be, now we bring consumerism in. And that's what's really important. So when we talk about fairness, what's fair is the guy that ultimately pays the bill should know what he's paying for and how much. That's what's fair. And I think that's what we miss too many times and why we need to start looking at better ways for the healthcare consumer to understand how they're paying their doctor. Hey, Roger, I've got a couple of questions for you. Sure. Um, Emilio is asking us, if th- is this idea brand new or has it been going on for a while? Well, this idea is not new. Um, obviously, the resource-based relative value schedule was built in 1989 by CMS and, and, and parties that I mentioned earlier. It was revised in 92 to add some geographical locations, and it's been used very strongly ever since. And in fact, it's been used and adopted more and more as a standard for insurance companies to use that data for their research and how they're paying providers as well. Instead of just building their own databases and looking at what physicians are charging, they're now looking at what Medicare says that service should be worth and what it should be paid. And so we're expanding in that into the commercial markets. But somewhere in the range of around 10 years ago, there's a number of parties that started working in these new methodologies and saying, wait a minute, we're going to pay more specifically based on these fees. So we're going to look at the Medicare reimbursement, and we're going to pay appropriately to that. Now, we may pay a little more than Medicare based upon the market or the specialty or the, or the procedure, if Medicare is a little bit off, we can make adjustments and we might pay 120% of Medicare, but that's what we're going to pay. We're not going to just take a physician's bill verbatim at $1,000 for a $200 procedure and go ahead and pay it. We're going to say, hey, Medicare would pay 180. We're going to pay 212. And so there's a difference in how we look at this over time. But in the last five years, it has escalated significantly. And I think every year since, it's been growing more and more popular. And I'd say in the last year and a half, I've seen it getting more and more traction, even in the smaller group markets, so that people are saying, you know what, let's take advantage of paying physicians, hospitals, and providers appropriately so that we can control our costs for our health benefits, even in the small group world. Roger, Denise is asking the question. She says, you talked about how Medicare is setting the standards. So wouldn't it make sense that we just all move to a Medicare for all model, like some of the Democrats are suggesting? Well, the only problem with that is is the discussion that we just had. We, we've all admitted and acknowledged and seen that Medicare is paying somewhere in the range of 90% of what the procedures and the care might cost. So if Medicare is paying below cost and our private pay needs to pay more than that in order to cover it and make sure all of our medical providers stay in business and stay operating at the quality that we expect, 
then if we go Medicare for all, the quality is going to be compromised. It has to be, unless they adjust it and pay more than what they do, in which case all of their projections for what Medicare for all would cost are way out of line. Then you're also, in that scenario, telling physicians precisely what they make. You're making them government indentured servants. They don't have a significant portion of their practice in the non-Medicare, non-Medicaid markets where they can charge a little bit more. They're now confined just to take this reduced charge from the government for all if we're doing Medicare for all. And so you're looking at a whole lot of challenges that go hand in hand with that, not to mention the whole issue of research and quality and, and a number of other things. So it's really difficult call from that perspective. I just don't see squeezing down to that Medicare level as anything other than America accepting the lowest common denominator of healthcare. And we're typically not willing to accept that. So, so Roger, Karen's asking a question. She says, I'm an accountant. I have an, a practice of like six or seven accountants, and I'm trying to figure out what I do based on this information to make sure I'm getting the best situation for my employees. Well, the very best way to look at this is to talk to your health insurance broker. And if your broker doesn't seem to be aware of these new reimbursement methodologies, just have him chat with us. We'll help coach him through on your behalf and, and help you find appropriate plans that give you the ability to take advantage of these more modern techniques and reimbursing providers so that you can get health plans at, at a better rate for the buck. And she sent another question. This would be available in all states? Well, most states, yes. Uh, really, the reimbursement methodology is available in all states, yes. Uh, and you'll see it growing all over the country. Okay. Um, I do not see any more questions. Let's give a minute for people who have been fascinated by what's going on. I'm just double-checking to see if we have any more questions. Apparently, Roger, you've left them speechless once again. That's three weeks in a row by my count. Well, I... Um it's not really my intent. I'd like to get a little more participation, but sometimes these topics are a little bit complex. They'll take a little bit of time to sink in. So, Bob, why don't you tell them about where they can find recordings of these and how they might be able to re-listen and certainly get reach out to us in the future if they want more information. Of course. So we're turning these into podcasts. They'll be available within two or three days. You can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, as well as on our website at benefitindemnity.co. And you can go back and listen to, the, to these again. And you can also join us next Monday when we cover another topic related to health benefits, and we continue to do it each week. I want to thank Roger for his time today and his uh, diligence. This was not the easiest topic to present, and he certainly made it much more palatable than I thought it was going to be when we started. And I appreciate that, and I appreciate everyone who asked questions. I, I don't think I can go through all the names I wanted to, but I lost some along the way when I got disconnected. I know it was Ollie, Denise, I think Steve, Emilio, and maybe Karen, but I'm not sure of that. Do you remember, Roger? Not offhand, Bob. Sorry. Okay. Until next Monday at 3.30 Eastern time, have a great week. Thank you very much. Have a great time, guys.
You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.